Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. And breaking news, the controversial president of Haiti, Jovenel Moïse, was assassinated in his home last night. His wife was injured and is hospitalized. A team of assassins, some of whom reportedly spoke English with a U.S. accent, as well as others who spoke Spanish, were reported to carry out the hit. One of the team allegedly them as U.S. DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, which media's reporting was a ruse, a false claim. Our guest is Pierre Labossier, co-founder of the Haiti Action Committee. And controversy continues to swirl about critical race theory. It is being used as an excuse to attack the teaching of the racist history of the United States. Joining us to discuss the terrible origins of the 4th of July is Margaret uh, Kimberly. She is the author of Prejudicial Black America and Its Presidents. And a National Week of Action on the Child Tax Credits kicks off on July 8th. We speak with Adam Rubin, Campaign's Coordinator for the Economic Security Project. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. Haiti's increasingly unpopular and repressive President Jovenel Moise was assassinated in his home overnight. Interim Prime Minister Claude Joseph called the killing a hateful, inhumane, and barbaric act. First Lady Martine Moise was shot in the overnight attack and hospitalized. It's not clear who the assailants were. Some reports say they spoke Spanish. Kim Ives is an editor of the publication Haiti Liberté. He told Democracy Now! reports from Haiti indicate the assassination was well organized. My sources in Haiti this morning tell me that uh, the assailants, the killers, uh, arrived in nine brand new Nissan Patrol uh, pickups. Uh, they had a uh, complete understanding of the uh, household of uh, Jovenel Moise, so apparently they had some inside uh, information. Um, they uh, knew what they were doing. They pretended to be the DEA. Uh, so uh, clearly this was a fairly sophisticated operation. Haitian President Moise had ruled by decree for more than two years after the country failed to hold elections and the opposition demanded he step down in recent months. President Biden estimated 160 million people in the U.S. will be vaccinated by the end of the week, hitting his goal of vaccinating 70 percent of the population just days later than his 4th of July initial goal. Biden laid out a five-point plan to increase the nation's vaccination rates, especially for states with low immunization numbers. Study after study after study has shown that since early May, virtually every COVID-19 hospitalization and death in the United States has been among the unvaccinated. So if you're vaccinated, you're protected. But if you're unvaccinated, you're not. And you're putting yourself, more importantly, maybe from your perspective, your family and your friends at risk. So please get vaccinated now. 
Biden called for door-to-door vaccination campaigns, workplace and mobile clinics, and a new effort to get trusted primary care doctors to deliver vaccines. Brooklyn Borough President and former police captain Eric Adams has won the Democratic primary for mayor of New York City. Adams triumphed over a large field in New York's first major race to use ranked choice voting. He's heavily favored in the November general election over the Republican nominee, Guardian Angels founder Curtis Sliwa. Adams would be the city's second African-American mayor. Dozens of people rallied outside the New York home of human rights lawyer Stephen Donzinger. He's been under house arrest for 700 days in a slap-style lawsuit that oil giant Chevron brought against Donzinger. That after he helped secure an $18 billion liability lawsuit against Chevron for the oil company's role in polluting Ecuador's Amazon and surrounding communities. At issue is Chevron's demand for access to Donziger's correspondence with his clients. He says it's covered by attorney-client privilege. A federal judge sided with Chevron demanding Donziger hand over the documents. He refused. He has been placed in contempt of court and under house arrest. His attorney, Ron Kuby, says it's likely he'll go to jail next, but Chevron won't win. They decided to send a message to Stephen and to everybody else who might stand up. And the message is, we will crush you. We will criminalize you. We'll take away your profession. And then, when you're broken, we'll walk away. Well, we have a message to send back to them. And I'll frame it in the most careful legal language that I can speak. you. The only question is just how much of this planet are you going to destroy before we destroy you? Earlier this year, nearly two dozen environmental and human rights groups, including Amnesty International, the National Lawyers Guild and Amazon Watch, wrote to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland requesting a review of the judge's handling of Donziger's case. Britain's high court has granted the Biden administration permission to appeal a decision that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange cannot be extradited to the U.S. to face espionage charges. In January, a lower court British judge refused a request for Assange's extradition to face spying charges over WikiLeaks' publication of secret military documents a decade ago. The documents and video included evidence of possible U.S. war crimes. The judge ruled Assange was likely to kill himself if held under harsh U.S. prison conditions. Assange remains in a London prison pending the U.S. appeal. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we are going to start off our show today with breaking news. In the early morning hours of Wednesday, July 7th, the controversial Haitian President Jovenel Moïse was assassinated during an attack on his private residence. Claude Joseph, the country's acting prime minister, said a group of unidentified individuals attacked Moïse's home at around 1 a.m. and fatally wounded 
wounded him. His wife was also wounded. She is reportedly hospitalized and fighting for her life. Uh, Moise, a former banana exporter from the private sector, had been accused of rampant corruption and human rights abuses. And indeed, uh, for several years now, Haitians have been on the street protesting against this U.S.-backed president. Let us go now to a clip from CBS about the assassination. We have breaking news from Haiti, where the country's president is dead this morning, assassinated in what's being described as a middle-of-the-night attack. Jovenel Moise had been in office for four years and had been the target of months of protests. Haiti's interim prime minister said Moise's wife was also wounded in the attack. With us on the phone now is Jacqueline Charles. She's the Caribbean correspondent for the Miami Herald and has covered Haiti extensively. Uh, Jacqueline, good morning to you. What are you hearing about this assassination? Yes, hi, good morning. So what we are hearing is that it occurred in the middle of the night or the middle of the morning, sometime around 1 a.m., according to um, the current acting interim prime minister. Um, these are unknown, unidentified assailants that, in video circulating, identified themselves as DEA agents or that this was a DEA operation. Um, these were not DEA agents. Um, there was no DEA operation. Um, one high-ranking official told me that these are, quote-unquote, mercenaries. Um, we're still trying to figure out who they were, who hired them, what's the motive behind all of this. Um, and, yes, the president was, quote-unquote, wounded. Uh, Mortally wounded, but he is he is dead. The uh, the statement from the prime minister's office says that some of the unidentified assailants spoke Spanish. Is, is that credible? Uh, and also, what's the backdrop here? What led up to this middle of the night attack? So yes, it is credible. They spoke Spanish and they spoke English with an American accent. Um, you know, the backdrop, Haiti is a country that has been in chaos now for a while. President Moise has been in office for four months. He's been contested um, almost in a minute that he got into office. Um, lately, you know, you have a sector of the population and civil society that said they did not recognize him because his presidential term expired February 7th of this year. He said no. He still had another year to go. The United States actually backed him up on that claim. At the same time, he was trying to force through a constitutional referendum. And the majority of Haitian legal experts and constitutional experts said that it was illegal. At the same time, he's been getting pressure to hold legislative elections because he's been ruling by decree since January 2020. And in ruling by decree, he made a number of decisions or passed presidential orders, one of which was to create a secret intelligence agency. And he also redefined what would be considered, you know, terrorism, basic acts of protest like burning tires. They decided that that was terrorism under these new domestic laws. So this is a president that has faced a lot of controversy in a country where you have a humanitarian crisis, you have an armed gang crisis, alarming spikes in kidnappings. Since June 1st, you've had more than 16,000 Haitians who have been forced out of their homes in poor working-class neighborhoods because of armed clashes with rival gangs. Uh, you also have an economic crisis. I mean, it has just been an overall country that's volatile. And today, with the death of the president, I've been told that there is no constitutional legal solution in terms right. of who should take charge. 
All righty, there you go. Let us welcome our guest. Welcome back to Sojourner Truth, um, Haitian national Pierre Leboisier, one of the most respected progressive voices on Haitian politics. Pierre Leboisier has dedicated his entire life advocating for the improvement of the Haitian impoverished uh, through the Haiti Action Committee, an organization that he co-founded. Pierre Leboisier has tirelessly championed grassroots efforts to improve education, bring about social justice, and develop a stable democracy for the people of his home country. In the five years since the devastating 2010 earthquake that killed hundreds of thousands of Haitians and caused immeasurable amounts of destruction to the island nation, Pierre Labossier has focused on funding repair and rehousing efforts and turning global consciousness towards the serious issues that Haitians people face. Pierre Bossier, welcome back. Thank you very much, Margaret. Okay, so um, Pierre, tell us the latest. What are you hearing on the ground? I mean, many, many shot, I imagine, by uh, the assassination of Jovenel Moïse. And I imagine that um, for the people been demanding for Jovenel to go. It's not there's any love lost um, between, you know, with them in terms of Jovenel Moïse. But what are you hearing? Yeah, Jovenel Moïse as an individual, of course, he was very, um, he's a contemptible individual. And um, for the way he got into office, he was uh, imposed on the people of Haiti. And Margaret, you and I were present during these so-called elections, but we were from what we saw, it was just a fraud. It was just a fraud because the choice had already been made. And even though Dr. Uh, Maris Narcisse from Formula Valas was um, credited with, with, with having won the elections in terms of the turnout of the people, the massive voting, but still through uh, subterfuge, fraud, and everything else, um, Jovenel Moïse was put in office first round. And um, people in Haiti had boycotted um, the, the inaugural. Nobody showed up. Very few, very, very few people did show up. So we witnessed all of that. And throughout his stay in office, it's been very clear that the well-being of the Haitian people was never something that was on his mind. It was the uh, his party, which is called the Parti Haitien Tetkale, meaning the Haitian skinhead party, the skinheads, you know, um, ultra-right wing, uh, they are, they, they've been under Martelly, they started this massive looting of, they continued, but the, there was an increased, in, increased looting of the country's funds, uh, the monies from the earthquake donations were, a lot of it was dilapidated, squandered, and Jovenel Moïse continued with those same policies. And um, under his rule, actually, they actively they continued what Martelly had started, which was attacks against the population for land grabs to chase people out of their homes, chase people away from places where they lived, taking over those areas, supposedly to develop the areas, but it was nothing but a vast operation of taking over people's lands, turning people into internal refugees and People were forced to flee Haiti. Also, external refugees ending up in in Brazil, in 
um, Chile in, and now on the Mexico border, going to all the various islands, fleeing the hell that Haiti had become. So you are correct in that this man, there is no, no love lost there. And um, the people of Haiti are very, but what it shows also is that the, his assassination does not resolve the basic issues that the country has been dealing with. The struggle of the people for genuine democracy, where the resources of the country, the tax money that the people are paying, can come back to them in terms of basic services, such as water, hospitals, schools, and they can live decently, creating employment, providing for local agricultural production, all those things that will lift the Haitian people out of misery. So there is a question of one individual who represents a sector of, the, of, a, of a very predatory class on Haiti, uh, on the people of Haiti, and uh, what the people's movement is calling for, which is basic democracy, which is um, the right to have improved living conditions, and that their tax money be used for their betterment and not to line the pockets of Jovenel Moïse and other politicians. Right, and, and Pierre Labossier, just uh, wanting to uh, basis with you on this. The position of the United States, uh, they have been backing uh, Jovenel Moïse, helped basically uh, to put him in place. Um, many people refer to him as a selected uh, president. Uh, in the end, uh, there was enough pressure on the Biden administration that at least they came out against this uh, constitution, this new constitution that uh, Jovenel Moïse was putting forward, a constitution that we understand takes us back to the uh, brutal Duvalier-type um, uh, constitution that the Haitian people had managed uh, to get rid of the Duvalier regime. So there's that on, on the one hand, uh, but on the other hand, the United States was still pushing for uh, elections uh, to happen in Haiti, even though everyone has on the ground and, and people have been saying, the movement has been saying, this is just not possible given the conditions on the ground. I, I wondered uh, if you would comment on that. And also the development of what's happening on the ground, because Pia, you might recall when the Sojourner Truth team we were uh, down in Haiti, Romero Funes and myself, and went into La Saline, where a massacre had happened um, by the with the support of the Moise administration against a community that was a stronghold of opposition to the Moise, um, you know, to the Moise government, uh, carried out by a man known as Barbecue, and recently. We saw that Barbecue has now formed an organization called the G7. They seem to be getting support still uh, from the government. But also, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to name a name here. You have a journalist like Kim Ives, who is frequently on Democracy Now!, um, running around um, claiming that uh, this very barbecue, this killer, is some kind of revolutionary leader. So there's a lot happening right now at this particular moment, and who knows what forces came together to carry out this assassination. Pierre Le Bossier. 
Yes, and, and the big elephant in the womb is also the occupation of Haiti. Haiti is occupied. Haiti is occupied ever since the 2004 coup d'etat against President Aristide, the kidnapping coup when President Aristide was kidnapped in February 2004. Since then, Haiti has been occupied by, U, by the, um, uh, ostensibly by the U.S., France, Canada leading the pack with Brazil, and um, but they have they, ca- they are carrying this ongoing occupation uh, under the flag of the United Nations. So the present United Nations mission in Haiti is BINU, B-I-N-U-H, and uh, supposedly they are there to pro- to promote justice, to promote democracy, to protect the Haitian people. But what we have seen starting with the first U.N. Uh, occupation called MINUSTA, uh, the first acronym, MINUSTA, in 2004. It's been a systematic uh, attack on the population, on the poor people living in the various poor neighborhoods, poor communities. Why? Because those people were demanding that their vote, they had voted for President Aristide, that their vote be respected, that their tax money provide services for them that they are entitled to under the Constitution of Haiti. So this is the actual backdrop of everything that's going on. It's been 18 years of occupation, yet the, con- the conditions of the country have never been worse in- than they are right now. And this is so shameful, what's going on. And there has been tons of money. We are talking, some people are claiming $18 billion dollars just vanish. Nobody knows. Not one hospital built for the people. Whereas when President Aristide was in office with $1.2 billion, several clinics were built, hospitals, schools, uh, providing uh, subsidies for, for children, uh, hot meal programs, everything else. On that $1.2 billion when he was in office. So the Haitian people are very clear, and they've been demonstrating in the street in the streets against the occupation, against the handpicked, the imposed presidents like Martin Lee, Jovenel Moïse, who've been imposed on on them to carry out this um, ongoing repression, and also bringing it back. Jovenel Moïse is the continuation, you might say, or the and same as Martin Lee, it's the rebirth of the Duvalier dictatorship because François Papadoc-Duvalier was put in power in 1957 the same way by the U.S. through fraudulent elections that were stolen, according to recent documents that have been, um, that have been made public, and uh, Duvalier was imposed. And there was a, a reign of terror, first by the Haitian military, later on he created the Tonton Makouts, who were like a death squad nationally, and this is exactly who the Jovenel Moïse and Martelly governments um, are modeling themselves after. For example, um, it's no accident that Jovenel Moïse had gone to the Dominican Republic um, in the first few days of his election, following his selection, I should say, and met with dictator Henry Namfi, who was living there. Now, Namfi is a known killer who had participated in those massacres in the early days of Papa Doc Duvalier, and also um, had conducted a massacre against the people of La Saline, people in the neighborhood of Cité Soleil, when President Aricid, then Father Aricid was saying mass, they burned down the church and committed other atrocities. So he went to see him 
And uh, they, whatever they discussed pretty much is what Jovenel Moïse came back to Haiti and it established a reign of terror against the population. And um, many people, and you mentioned Lassaline, you're being there, you videotape everything that has gone on. And what they are calling gangs today, and many reporters try to distance them from the Haitian government. It's a clever way that when I say they, I mean the Haitian government and the UN occupation. What they have done is actually empowered, brought money and guns to get criminals, to, crimi to get criminals out of the prisons, to make a situation with, that's so uh, economically uh, oppressive that many young people are being forced into this gang life and they are turning them loose on the population, which is exactly what the Tontomakuts had done and putting a campaign of terror out there. So this, this guy that you mentioned, Jimmy Cherizé Barbecue, is one such killer in the style of the, of the worst Tontomakuts during the Papa Doc and Baby Doc years. And that's what he's been doing. So for a reporter, like uh, Kim Ives, to call this man a revolutionary. And there's been a whole campaign to try to create this kind of confusion against the people of Haiti and to present that to the world. But the people of Haiti know better because they are the victims of Jimmy Cherizé barbecue and others. It's the G9 group of gangs that was federated, and it was federated by the government of Jovenel Moïse, which issued them uh, uh, their 501c3, so to speak, status in Haiti. And also, they were praised by the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, I believe, on October, saying that in the areas where they exercise control. Now, imagine, these are gangs, okay, who are killing people in broad daylight, carrying on kidnappings and all kinds of atrocities, burning people's homes, creating the conditions where right now, as Jacqueline Schultz mentioned, you have over 16,000 other people are saying a lot more refugees in Haiti because they've been burned out of their homes. Um, they have killed people. They have burned people alive. And this is the situation where the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, called them uh, praise that in the areas that they control. Can you imagine that, that uh, the rate of homicide has gone down? While these people are killing babies as young as 18 months old, uh, just last week, a week ago, I spoke to a mother who's two-year-old, was shot dead with a bullet in the head, and the mother was beside herself. I, I, I was speechless. I'm a father. I didn't know what to say to the poor woman. The term sniper is now part of the Creole language, sniper, because what these G9 gang members, the barbecue people are doing, they have telescopes, powerful rifle that and in Creole people say you ralin that means that using their telescope they're able to get a clear view of who they are shooting at and then they, they shoot people at random uh, just to create a campaign of terror. And and I could go on with so many others like uh, two days ago there is a nurse who's who's going through an ambulance and they shot at the ambulance shooting her in the head. Um, and so on and so forth, you know, so the kidnappings, yeah. the random killings, the home burnings, the, this is a campaign of terror to repress the population. 
this is abominable. Right. What's going on. Yes, and, and we'll have to see now um, what happens moving forward because Jacqueline Charles, in that clip I played, she said that there isn't, there's no kind of constitutional guide as to what should happen next in terms of who um, should be basically in charge of Haiti at this particular moment. But one, of course, Pierre Labossier, we may never know who were behind this team of assassins. It sounds as though it was clearly uh, very well planned, that there seems to be some international uh, influence uh, on this. Um, someone was heard speaking with an American, a U.S. accent, uh, claiming that they were DEA officials, asking, I suppose, the uh, security at uh, the Moise residence to stand down. Um, Jacqueline Charles and others are saying, well, this was just a ruse, uh, basically. So one has to wonder, and I'm not um, asking you to speculate at all, Pierre Bossier, but one has to wonder who really was behind this. And if the core group, the United States, France, and Canada, on the face of it, um, supporting Jovenel Moïse, but given the situation on the ground, clearly he continuing as president and really being able to control anything will certainly seem to be untenable. So the other worry, too, that I've heard uh, from people uh, who are worried now that the United States may use the occasion of all the confusion and controversy uh, around the assassination of Jovenel Moïse to go in um, and invade or have a, a more direct um, occupation presence. Indirectly, they're doing it through the UN troops right now. Um, so just your final thoughts on the situation uh, following this uh, uh, breaking news of the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moïse and his wife being gravely injured, uh, Pierre Lopoisier. You know, in Haiti, um, I just I had heard a priest uh, about um, maybe right uh, 1994 when after President Aristide returned, there was a sermon that he preached and he told, and he was uh, giving the people some analysis of the situation, which I feel is about the same thing today. Jovenel Moïse has been having a lot of arguments with other people from the predatory class, from the Haitian bourgeoisie, um, very similar to Papa Doc Duvalier, where they are bringing other individuals to take the place. It's not a change. It's not a change of the system, but it's a change of bringing their own individuals in there in key positions to have economic power and removing others. You see kind of a musical chair kind of a thing. And, um, but that priest had said, look, when a mongoose, you, you're from the islands, Margaret, so you know the mongoose is a... Um, Predator and report, reputedly loves chickens. When a mongoose is fighting with this bird of prey that also likes chickens called a malfini, um, it's not the chicken shouldn't be clapping because they are they are fighting over the, the victor will end up eating the chicken. Okay, so basically this is what's going on, and there has been a lot of infighting among the predatory class in Haiti. So that's one thing that I've heard from people in light of this particular, um, in light of recent things that have been going on. So as you say, it could be from anywhere among that class. 
However, the people of Haiti, their view is they themselves have to take their future in their own hands. What the people of Haiti are presenting is uh, they are capable, beautiful, competent, honest people in Haiti. And there is something that the people call Sali Public, which is a proposal for government of public safety. Jovenel Moïse, the PhDK party, with the help of the UN and the US, have completely destroyed uh, the democratic structures in Haiti. Various institutions have been completely gutted. So people are saying we need a period of transition to have a government, a people's government for the public safety. Sali Public, which will um, has needs a 36-month period to put the institutions back together to provide needed essential services for the population, and in that period put the structures in place so that there can be real elections in Haiti, not fraudulent elections that they are like we witness that put Jovenel Moïse in there, but real elections where one person, one vote is what will um, will actually take place so that the people can put in office true, their true representative, which can start doing the work of rebuilding the country. The U.S. and the U.N. have been completely opposed to this. They wanted Jovenel Moïse to have some show elections, something that, that, um, that resulted in his own selection, where they already pre-pick the people, um, that they want in, in power, and then they have people just go on the day of elections serving as photo op, providing photo opportunities to show, oh, there are masses of people, there is a long line of, pers- of people there voting, and democracy is at work, when they know full well that's a lie. So this yeah. is what, what the situation is, and that's what the people of Haiti are, have been fighting for, real, genuine democracy, so they can start rebuilding their own, their own land. Right, and and P, I just also wanted to mention before you go that our listeners will have an opportunity to hear, dig a bit deeper in the situation in Haiti. Africans uh, rising for justice, peace, and dignity, they're based all over the continent of of Africa, and they are holding a, a webinar called Haiti, The Continuing Struggle for Liberation. It's um, uh, that's going to be Thursday, July the 8th. That's nine o'clock Pacific time, noon Eastern time. And there is information on it, I'm sure, on the uh, Sojourner Truth website, likely on the Haiti Action Committee website as well. So uh, Pierre Leboisier, we look forward to hearing more from you. I'll be speaking on that as well as as, uh, as Pierre Leboisier. And by then, who knows what, uh, what other breaking news will happen around uh, Haiti. So Pierre Leboisier, thank you so very much for joining Joining us and please stay well and safe. Thank you, Margaret. All righty. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take a short station break. Coming up, our weekly Earth Minute, and then the terrible origins of July 4th. Margaret Kimberly is waiting to speak with us, and the child tax credits checks are on their way, will be arriving July 15th, and there is a national uh, week of action around the child tax credit, and Adam uh, Rubin will be joining us. He's with the Economic Security Project. We'll be right back. 
Almighty, and that is Time for Reparations by Sounds for Blackness. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check out our website at www.sotrueradio.org. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at SoTrueRadio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the great state of New York. We see that there may be a new mayor has been announced, Eric Adams, for New York City. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our sisters and brothers, our listeners throughout the Caribbean region, including uh, Haiti. Let us go now to our weekly Earth Minute. Pipeline developers in Tennessee have announced they are pulling the plug on the Bihalia Pipeline, a proposed pipeline that would have gone through communities across the South to transport crude oil to the Gulf Coast. The pipeline posed a threat to predominantly black neighborhoods in Southwest Memphis that already face disproportionate health burdens. According to the Southern Environmental Law Center, this is not the first time that Southwest Memphis residents have been forced to bear the risks of environmental pollution. A 2013 study identified the area as an air pollution hotspot due to the quantity of industries and emission sources. This win highlights the extraordinary outcomes communities can achieve when fighting together against unjust projects that threaten the health and well-being of people and our shared natural resources. For the Earth Minute and the Sojourner Truth Show, this is Teresa Church from Global Justice Ecology Project. And and this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth across the United States. Crackdowns are increasing on the teaching of black and brown history in schools. The main school of thought that is under attack critical race theory is being slandered by the right as being racist and segregationist. In reality, however, critical race theory is a progressive theoretical framework by which structural and institutional racism can be examined. Uh, to me, frankly, it's about are we going to teach the truth about what happened in the history of the United States or are we going to just uh, white it out, basically? Overall, uh, Republican lawmakers are pushing bills in nearly two dozen states and have so far enacted laws in Texas, Tennessee, Iowa, Idaho, and Oklahoma that seek to limit how teachers can discuss systemic racism in public schools, often under the guise of banning critical race theory from classrooms. And in May, Arizona lawmakers voted uh, to ban um, certain types of anti-racism training, including critical race theory for government workers. Meanwhile, the Senate rejected a bill to require teachers to present all perspectives of controversial race issues as best they can. And efforts to recall school board members are surging around the U.S., and especially in California, mid GOP efforts to squash any teaching in schools about institutional racism. Meanwhile, every year on the 4th of July, millions of people across the U.S. celebrate what's properly, uh, popularly known as Independence Day. But on July 5th, 1852, the historic abolitionist Frederick Douglass gave a keynote address and an Independence Day celebration and asked what to a slave is the 4th of July. Let us start off this segment with a clip of the great James Earl Jones uh, reading part of Frederick Douglass's speech. Frederick Douglass 
once a slave, became a brilliant and powerful leader of the anti-slavery movement. In 1852, he was asked to speak in celebration of the 4th of July. Fellow citizens, pardon me and allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I, therefore, called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. I must mourn. Let us now welcome our guest, Margaret Kimberly, author of Prejudicial, Black America and the Presidents, which was published in 2020. She is editor and senior columnist at Black Agenda Report. Her work can also be seen on her Patreon site, as well as Twitter, where her handle is at Freedom Ride Blog. Margaret Kimberly, welcome. Thank you so much. So tell us about, uh, you got the context there of our discussion, the terrible origins of uh, July 4th. Uh, tell us your arguments in the article and why you felt the need to make this argument right now in 2021. Well, we're taught history so terribly in this country. Uh, the Declaration, <coughs> excuse me, the Declaration of Independence uh, lists as one of the grievances, and I'm going to read this sentence, quote, he has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions, unquote. This is never taught to us. I was a history major in college, and I was never was... Uh, asked to read the entire Declaration of Independence. Basically, the colonists wanted to be independent of Britain because the British had other interests on the continent. They had ended a war with France. They were fighting for territory here. And let's just be clear, both nations were invaders. But um, the conflicts with the French, uh, the French and Indian War, which is just what it was, the uh, uh, indigenous, indigenous nations had an alliance with France to fight against Britain to try to hold on as much of their land as they could. Uh, so the British said that there could be no new settlements west of the Appalachian Mountains because of indigenous resistance. Well, the colonists didn't want to hear that. They wanted the whole thing. 
and uh, uh, these concerns that Britain had were not theirs. <clears throat> they wanted it all, and they couldn't have it all as long as they were colonies. They had to be independent from England in order to get what they wanted and uh, uh, spread across the continent and take over all of the indigenous nations. Right, and, you know, the idea then that, um, you know, the what Frederick Douglass was trying to say and put forward in his speech. But fast forward uh, to today, the, the same arguments, um, Margaret, can absolutely still be made. So Dr. Gerald Horn, who's frequently on this on this show, you know, he has said that the so-named War of Independence really was a war about holding on to slavery and expanding it. And of course, we know the great expansion that happened in the United States. I just did a segment on Haiti um, where the a controversial and corrupt president was Jovenel Moïse was assassinated, but it was really the Haitian Revolution that forced uh, the French um, out of the U.S., uh, out of what is now the U.S., and greatly expanding its territory. So I, I wonder your thoughts on all that. Oh, absolutely. There was a case in Britain, the Somerset case. James Somerset was an enslaved man. Uh, his the slaveholder purchased him in the U.S. and uh, brought him to England. He managed to escape but was recaptured. Uh, he did have friends, whoever, who went to court on his behalf, and the court ruled that he could not be forcibly removed from Britain. Now, this was a very limited ruling. It didn't end slavery. The British kept slavery in their other colonies for another 50 years or so. Uh, but even this tiny um, uh, limit, was too much uh, for the colonists. They feared that the British would not support uh, slavery, which they had every, every intention of holding on to and, in fact, expanding. So uh, it, they were driven by two things. It wasn't the love of liberty. It wasn't the Enlightenment. It wasn't any of the nonsense we were taught in school. They wanted to make sure they could take the whole continent, that they could take it from the indigenous people, and that uh, they could spread out the, uh, their settlements and their plantation economy and continue to enslave African people uh, without any interference. That was the motivation for the uh, Declaration of Independence. Now, Margaret Kimberly, I mean, in, in the clip we heard, by the way, the first voice you heard was the late, great Howard Zinn, the author of A People's History of the United States, then James Earl Jones reading from Douglas's speech. But given the hysteria and the pushback happening around the teaching of critical race theory, I mean, to me, it basically is just trying to white out um, the racist origins of, of the U.S. from being taught. So I imagine, um, Margaret Kimberly, that if uh, opponents of critical race theory had their way, Howard Zinn, his work would be banned uh, in school. Certainly, we wouldn't learn about Frederick Douglass, or he would be greatly whitewashed. And certainly, your thesis, um, uh, Margaret Kimberly, would not be allowed. Just your final thoughts about the attack that's coming down now on how history is taught in the United States and what you think we need to do to push back. Uh, just your final thoughts in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, I, I find it uh, interesting that there's this outcry about cr uh, critical race theory as if history is being taught 
properly in American schools anyway. It's very unusual for uh, uh, kids and uh, even college students to be taught uh, what I just said, all of which is, is uh, 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 factual and um, uh, easily provable as true. So this is a pushback against a lot of things. It is something the right wing is using to uh, gin up support uh, for themselves otherwise, and you can't go wrong in this country um, by uh, promoting uh, anti-black policies. But um, I, I, I think we should also just be clear that we have never been taught history the way it should have been taught. We're still not being taught that. So we should not allow this um, uh, manufactured hysteria to throw us off course. Right. And again, uh, for people who want to follow you, you imagine uh, on Twitter they could go to at Freedom Ride blog. Is that right, Margaret Kimberly? That is correct. And follow your work. Yes. And read BlackAgendaReport.com every week. Right. And of course, your book, Prejudicial, Black America and the Presidents. Margaret Kimberly, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. All righty, we're going to wrap our show up now on the child tax credit. The IRS and the Treasury Department have launched a new site for the monthly child tax credits in a bid to ensure that low-income families can get these payments. The first checks are expected to go out to more than 36 million eligible families next month. Uh, Beginning on July 15th, families with children under the age of six are set to receive payments of $300 a month through the end of the year for each child. Meanwhile, those with children ages 6 to 17 will receive payments of $250 a month until the end of the year. And the 2021 child tax credit was also expanded to include low-income families who were otherwise earning too little to pay taxes. Now, here to fill us in on all of this and to let us know about a week of action around the child tax credits under the theme, Keep Families Afloat, I'd like to welcome Adam Rubin, who is the campaign's director for the Economic Security Project. Adam has two decades of experience at the leading edge of online campaigning and fundraising, grassroots organizing, communications, and political campaigns. He was the architect behind Move On's successful campaigns to take over the House, Senate, and White House, creating a tech-enabled model of scalable field organizing that was spread throughout the progressive movement. He spent more than four years growing the Fight for 15, melding traditional communications with digital strategy, and has consulted with organizations in including Narrow Pro-Choice America, Working Families Party, Voter Participation Center, Run Warren Run, and Global Zero. So Adam Rubin, very uh, happy that you're able to join us. Welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me on today. Okay, so Adam, first off, uh, tell us about this week of action. Um, What is going to be happening in uh, uh, several states across the nation? Yeah, uh, as you said, the, uh, the monthly child tax credit checks will arrive for most families with children on July 15th. Um, and uh, we organized this week of action for the week leading up to that date to boost 
awareness and popularity and build momentum for the child tax credit to make sure that this is something that everyone has heard about because it's such a powerful tool for economic security for families. So during the week of action, um, we'll have uh, a bunch of elected officials participating in local events. Um, Marty Walsh, the Secretary of Labor, half a dozen senators, including Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown, um, about a dozen U.S. representatives, uh, mayors and local elected officials, um, joining community organizations, um, groups like the Economic Security Project, Community Change, Children's Defense Fund, Color of Change, People's Action, um, leaders like uh, Representative Barber, or, or uh, I'm sorry, Reverend Barber, um, and celebrities and influencers like J-Lo and Misha Collins from Supernatural. Um, so we'll have uh, events in about 20 states, um, mostly over the next couple of days to kick off the week of action, um, including in California, New York, Georgia, Oregon, um, parents speaking, teachers, pastors, pediatricians, as well as local community organizing groups. Um, there will be a steady drumbeat of activity online over the course of the week. And then it culminates on July 15th, the day that the checks arrive, um, with a Families Matter celebration, a virtual online celebration with many of the folks who I just mentioned. Um, and that's Thursday, uh, July 15th, so next week, um, 2 p.m. Eastern or 11 a.m. Pacific time. And that will be on Economic Security Project's Facebook page. So it's an exciting um, splash to draw attention to the child tax credit. Right. So, um, Adam Rubin, for people who are listening to this show across the country and they want to find out if events or where events are ha and when are happening in their state, what should they do? How can they get the information? They can go, they can go to keepfamiliesafloat.org, keepfamiliesafloat.org. Um, because the child tax credit helps keep families afloat. Um, it's a way for low-income families who are struggling to with basic needs like food and rent and bills um, to find economic security and also middle-class families that need help with child care or college savings. Um, this helps most families with children to help all families succeed, and that helps boost small businesses. It helps boost the whole community. Right, and for our listeners in Southern California, on Saturday, July the 10th at 10.15, there's going to be food and fun uh, happening at Hollenbeck Park. That's at 415 South St. Louis Street. That information we'll have up on the Sojourner Truth uh, website. And uh, Congressman Jimmy Gomez of District California 34 uh, will be there. Um, we understand some other elected officials may be there as well, demanding a permanent child tax credit. And they're going to be uh, some food, some pastries, etc., from Homeboy Industries, I understand, street vendors, a live DJ, games and activities for children, um, rally speeches live interpreted in English and Spanish. So um, and that just gives a, a small sense of what's going to be happening uh, in Southern California. A number of organizations, Ground Game LA, um, Union de Vincina, 
Global Women's Strike, Alexandria House, lots of other community-based organizations involved in this effort. But Adam, um, uh, tell us this. President Biden is on the road right now uh, trying to gin up support for his reconstruction legislation. We know that the child tax credit um, was part of the American Rescue Plan, but in his infrastructure bill, he has a proposal to extend it beyond just this year. Uh, Of course, there are many of us (laughs) that are pushing and pressing for it to be made uh, permanent. So tell us about that. Tell us why Economic Security Project, you're involved in this campaign around the child tax credits and your thoughts about the importance of making it permanent. Adam Rubin. Yeah, um, I think you've got it exactly right. This is um, a revolutionary policy advance. Um, The child tax credit has been around for a long time, but has just been expanded, so it's more generous, and it's been broadened to include the very lowest-income families. Before this expansion that uh, President Biden and the Democrats led, about half of Black and Latinx children were locked out of the child tax credit and are now included. So this is really transformative, but it's temporary. These monthly checks will start on July 15th for most families, um, but they'll end at the end of December unless we do something to extend them. Um, So President Biden, Democrats on the Hill um, are united in calling for this to be extended. Um, The president's American Families Plan that he's pushing for um, includes extending it for years and years, but as you said, we need to make it permanent. Otherwise, um, the four million children who are lifted out of poverty by this legislation, more heavily black and brown children, are at risk of falling back into poverty um, when the policy expires. Um, So we need to make it permanent. um, And we also need to reinstate permanently the eligibility for immigrant children, children who don't have social security numbers. Up until 2017, they were included in the credit, um, but under the Trump tax cuts, They were cut out. And so this is our chance to um, bring in uh, more than a million immigrant children who are unfairly excluded from what's a really critical benefit. Right. And uh, just FYI, there's been a sign-on letter put out, I'll have to say, by a women's network I'm associated with, uh, asking for the child tax credits to be permanent, but also that they be paid directly to the mother or the primary uh, caregiver. So um, that letter circulated. I'm glad to say over 50 organizations and hundreds of people have signed on to it. So a lot of excitement about this child tax credit and uh, a lot of great activity happening in Southern California and around the nation. And again, um, Adam Rubin, just give us the contact information, the website for the Economic Security Project. Yeah, I'll give you two, because I think for people, a lot of people may have questions about their personal situation. Um, And we've helped the White House create a website that I think is really good at childtaxcredit.gov.gov. Um, that tells you about the tax credit, helps you estimate if you're going to get it, how much you're going to get. For most parents, you don't have to do anything in order to receive it. Um, So all the information you need to find out about what it means for you is there at childtaxcredit.gov. And if you want to find out about a local event or join online, go to keepfamiliesafloat.org. 
All righty, on that note, we're out of time. Thank you, Adam uh, Rubin. And uh, I'd like to thank all of today's guests. Today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank Kiana Williams, our sister, uh, our audio engineer and assistant producer, Romero Funes. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Y'all, please stay safe. Long time coming, but I know a change gonna come.